probably, you know, like, you know, if you've been around some superhero stories, and these days they're very popular with movies and shows and obviously been popular with comics in the past, the character of a superhero has, is usually, has, usually has a backstory, usually something that forged them to be who they are. There's a picture on the screen where you'll notice, and if, you, if you're not familiar with it, it's a picture of, of young Bruce Wayne um, standing at the feet of his parents. This was a tragic uh, moment where his parents were shot, and this, this moment in his life story forged who he was and, and his, his long to see justice happen in his city and to see good happen in the city. And often uh, superheroes have these backstories. Iron Man is stuck in a desert cave realizing how his life work has hurt millions of people and he takes a shift. And if you read the backstories of Wonder Woman or Black Widow or Superman or whoever they might be, you'll notice that. It's almost as if the writers of these fictional stories, I know they're fictional, but it's as if the writers of these fictional stories know something about real life. That identity and purpose doesn't just happen, doesn't just grow on trees, to use a cliche, but usually discovered out of something profound. And as Christ followers, not just something, but someone, we look to Christ and we look to God and the work of the Spirit in that. This last uh, five weeks, and it's our last week in this series, we've been tracking with Israel's journey in the wilderness. And we've been taking snapshots out of the book of of, uh, of Exodus, the Old Testament book, and particularly snapshots from Israel's journey from Egypt to Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai might be familiar to do because it's the place, the moment where Israel receives the law. There, there's this, this journey has taught them so much, and I, I just encourage you to look back or listen back to our podcast or YouTube channel to listen to some of these lessons we've learned the last five weeks. They've been so important for us. God, in this last snapshot, speaks into the life of Israel, especially regarding their identity and their purpose. If you've got your Bible, turn to Exodus 19, um, verse 1. We're going to read a few verses here from this, this passage, Exodus 19. And if you've got a real Bible, pull it out, read along. Uh, even if it's a digital Bible, great, or follow along on the screen. And let's jump into this snapshot together, all right? On the first day of the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on that very day they came to the desert of Sinai. After they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped in the desert in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob, and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did in Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So Moses went back and summoned the elders of, of the people and set before them all the words the Lord had commanded him to speak. The people all responded together, we will do everything the Lord has said. So Moses brought their answer back to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, I'm going to come to you in a dense cloud so that the people will hear me speaking with you and will always put their trust in you. And then Moses told the Lord what the people said. 
Let's just pause for a moment. God, grab our attention today, this last week in this series, these lessons we're learning from the wilderness. And as we're about to learn how you spoke identity and purpose into Israel, God, may we make room for your voice, for your will, for your purpose in our life. In Christ's name, amen. So here we catch this snapshot. We get like, there are three months in this desert journey, in this particular journey right now in the wilderness. They're traveling from Rephidim to the Sinai Desert. The Sinai Desert is in the place where Mount Sinai is. And so it's the desert region around that mountain. It's this moment God calls Moses into the mountain where God's going to speak with Moses. Moses will hear God's voice. And the people of Israel, later on, if you keep reading, will hear the thunder and lightning and see the cloud of smoke as God is speaking. It's an encounter, like it's a majestic encounter. It's an awe-inspiring encounter. You see the strength and, and glory of God in this moment. And it's one of the most powerful moments in Israel's history. They're about to receive this gift of the law or the Ten Commandments, and it's going to call them into a new life as a nation. Now, there's this key scene in verse 5 and 6 that is so important, and I want you to catch what God says to them, all right? He says, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession, Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So vital, this scene, because in this scene, we hear God speaking identity into Israel. It's so beautiful to see. And he uses this incredible phrase, and he says, you will be my treasured possession you will be my most prized possession. The word treasured possession, the phrase there indicates something that is special, something that is unique, something that God's attention will be towards. Kind of like an older cliche is like the apple of my eye. Maybe you've, you've heard that. That comes out of like some old songs that, that sing about this stuff. It's as if God is saying, look, I'm going to gaze the whole world, but you are my most prized item in my orbit. He'll say in those verses, the world is mine. But there's something special about you and your purpose. God is using covenant language here. God has already made a covenant with Israel. Going back to Abraham, God is making a covenant with this people that he's going to use this people to bless the world. And he's going to be in covenant relationship with him. And he's now expressing this with them and inviting them to understand it more and inviting their part into this covenant relationship. God is speaking in this moment identity into Israel. He's shaping their perspective of themselves in relationship to God and the world. They, they don't fully grasp what this covenant relationship is. They don't fully grasp who they are and who they're called to be. And God begins to speak into them. You got to just pause for a second. Remember, they've been shaped for decades, decades by life in Egypt. For so long, they were shaped by what it meant to be enslaved and oppressed in Egypt. So their identity is shattered. Their identity is, is deformed, broken, damaged. And, and here, what God is doing is he's bringing them and giving them and speaking a new vision of life for them. We do notice this condition here. And it's an important one. He says, if you listen and obey my voice 
and keep my covenant. In other words, if you also play your role in the covenant relationship we have. This is partly foreshadowing the law. What God is going to speak, what God is going to share, the the gift of, of kind of these parameters of life that will make them uniquely different in the world. He's, he's inviting them into this new stage into their relationship, their faithfulness to the covenant, not just his. See, God has already been committed to them. God has already been faithful to them. God has already rescued them out of Egypt. So he's not saying, if you obey me, I'm going to rescue you. He already has rescued them. He's not saying, if you listen to my voice, uh, then I'm going to get you out of Egypt. Then I'm going to get you through the desert. No, he's already done that. So they're already saved, uh, in a sense, rescued by his covenant faithfulness to them. But he's now inviting them, mutually saying, hey, it's your turn. How will you live this out? How will you live our covenant out? And how will you now live in the world? We can tie this into into the, the words of Jesus. Think about this for a second. Like a big picture, God sent Jesus to save the world, right? God said, because I love the world, I sent my son. He didn't say, if you follow, I'll send my son. No, because I love the world, I sent my son. That's so important. Jesus' faithfulness in the cross already saves. Yet, we can't ignore Jesus' words to his disciples that are also words to us. When he meets his disciples, what are the words? He says, follow. He says, follow me. He also tells his disciples, John 15, if you love me, you will obey my commands. He says, the one who hears these words and puts them into practice at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he will be my disciple. The one who hears these words and puts them into practice will be strong. Jesus also tells his disciples something incredible when he's describing who they are. He says, I call you friends. I call you friends. I'm inviting you to partner in my father's mission. You know, you're going to know God's mission, God's purpose. I'm revealing it to you. You're my friends. That's very similar language to you're my treasured possession. This is part of uh, our identity as Christ followers and the identity God wants to bring into anybody who comes to know Christ. Now, there's more to their identity uh, as being special here because as Israel's listening to these words, there's specific words that are so important for them. And he, he calls them a kingdom of priests. Or another version I like better, better says he, he calls them the priestly kingdom. Think about it for a second, because kingdoms in the world and kingdoms of that world generally function with some supreme power in the king who leads the subjects, and they have these multiple tiers. But when you think about what it means to be priestly or part of a priesthood, the priesthood has a special relationship with their king, or in this context, with their God. Israel is realizing the beauty of God's covenant. They are a kingdom of priests. They all have access to a relationship with their God, with Yahweh, with the one who's created them in his image. So they're priestly. This is another part of their identity. They're a holy nation. If we think about nations today, especially in our world, the nation state, the rise of nation, the rise of nationalism, this idea where the nation is going to just fight for itself. See, nations exist for their own vision, for their own interests, and they act accordingly to their agenda. But Israel, God says, hey, you're a holy nation. You're, you're set apart 
You're set apart. You ha- you're different. You're, you're unique. See, they didn't just write a constitution. They were shaped by God's words, by God's law, by God's values, by God's heart. And so he's saying, listen and obey my voice. Keep the covenant and you will understand the identity I'm shaping in you. Just in a moment, just in a few, just after this text, they're going to receive the law, right? They're receiving this gift, the Ten Commandments, this calling, this life. So they're, they're called to be a different kind of nation shaped by a holiness that is unique. So imagine this nation, this group, Israel, that was shaped by Egypt, that was shaped for so many years, that was shaped by slavery. They've grown under Egypt. This nation, now listen to what they're called. You're my treasured possession. You're priestly. You all have access to God. You're holy. You're set apart. You have a unique calling. God, in the middle of the wilderness, is speaking this identity into Israel. And I want us to hear these words and how they work and how they apply to us. Now, there's something that happens that's, that's more than identity here because their identity overflows into their purpose. Or the word I really love is their vocation. They discover their vocation. They discover what they're called to. They're, they're, they're called out to be something and this is, it comes out of their identity and it overflows into their vocation. And it's connected to these two words, priestly and holy. To be priestly is, think about it, to represent God to the nations. A priest represents God and represents God to others. And so Israel is called, they have this purpose to represent God to the world. There's um, a theological scholar, biblical scholar named Carmen Imms. She wrote a really great book on Mount Sinai. She's actually a teacher in a Canadian seminary. And uh, she, she says this. Read it with me off the screen. She says, as his treasured possession, Israel's vocation, the thing they were born to do is to represent their God to the rest of humanity. They function in priestly ways, mediating between Yahweh and everyone else. They are set apart for his service. I love how she describes Israel's vocation, tied up into their identity. They're his treasured possession, and they're priestly. It means this. They're not meant to exist for themselves alone. They represent God in the world. They invite the world to know God. They show the world who God is. They show the world the life that God is shaping in them and ultimately inviting others into it. And just like Israel and Moses represented God to Jethro, we learned that last week, Israel represents God to the world. Now there's another word that helps us understand their vocation and we come back to that word holy. They're set apart for this purpose. They have this unique calling. In other words, their purpose isn't to function like every other nation. That's important. They are called to be uniquely different. And that is important for us to know as Christ followers, even though we're not a nation, and I'll get to that in a second, but the idea that God, when he was first working with Israel, they were uniquely different than everybody else. How they were to function in the world would be different than every other nation. How they would function socially, how they would function economically, how they would function militaristically was different than the rest of the world. Their purpose, their success, their mission was not based on their wealth or their status or their military. 
It was based on God shaping them into a people that reflected his heart. So socially and economically and militaristically, they would be different. They would be called over and over again through the books of the law like Deuteronomy and then through the prophets to justice and generosity and hospitality and humility and peace. They were often called back to these things over and over again because they were meant to be different than every other nation. So bring these things together, priestly and holy, set apart. They have this vocation to be what? To be a light to the nations. And Isaiah will say this later on in his prophetic letter, that they are called to be a light to the nations. And this is directly related to their relationship with God, to their covenant relationship with God. And it's directly related to how they live in the world, to how they interact with the world around them. And get this, to how they treat each other and how they treat the world around them. That is so, so vital for us. And I want to just bring this like in the light of the New Testament and who we are as Christ followers, or if you're exploring who Christ is or what Christianity is. Christians or Christ followers have a similar vocation. But remember, Christians are not a nation. I am not part of a Christian nation. Uh, even if my nation might have a couple of Christian values. And I'm not talking about the U.S., I'm talking about Canada. But even in the U.S. or other parts of the world or Europe or people that have been influenced by the West, Christians are not a nation. I'm not a nation. You're not a nation. We are a people, God's people, the church, the ecclesia. And this is important to know. And when Peter speaks to the church in 1 Peter chapter 2, he actually uses very Israel-like language. He calls them a royal priesthood. He calls them a holy nation because he's tying this people. And imagine, when Peter writes that letter uh, to those Christ followers, he called them exiles, foreigners, strangers. In their nation, in their land, they felt like foreigners and strangers. But he's saying, you're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You're priestly. You have access to God. You're holy. You have a unique calling. And then later in that chapter, he says these words, and this helps us understand our relationship to the world. He says, live such good lives among the pagans or among the world. Be priestly in your relationship with God and representing God to others. Be holy in the way you live your life. And he literally says, live such good lives. Be different than the world systems around you. You are not like the nations. There is no official Christian nation, but as Christ followers, we're called to live in whatever nation we live in as this unique people. And so who are you? Think about this. We just bring this together. Who are you? Your treasured possession. You're priestly. You're holy. What does that mean? It means you and I are uniquely loved and equipped by God and called and set apart in this world. And here's the beautiful thing here. God uses wilderness-like seasons to speak this identity and vocation into us. Sometimes we need the hardest seasons to learn this identity, the hardest seasons to learn this vocation. When Peter spoke to those Christ followers in his letters, they felt like strangers and aliens in their world. When Jeremiah wrote to the exiles in Babylon, they were exiled in Babylon, away from their home. When we read the book of Revelation, it exposes the world systems and says, yet you as Christ followers, you follow the lamb, not the beast. 
You are the bride, not the harlot. So important that we see these themes throughout Scripture. And God wants to remind us in these seasons, and maybe in this pandemic season, who we are and what we are in Jesus Christ. Now, what does, that, what does that look like every day? And I'm just going to wrap up with a little illustration here. And I think it creates joy and tension. And, and I got this box here, and uh, I'm grateful. Some people, dear people, made these boxes for me because I'm not so crafty. Um, but here's this first box. I want, this represents you and me. And in fact, it re- represents the church. And I wrote you at the bottom too, so you understand that you are part of the church. We're not just talking about individuals, but collectively. And so here is us, the church, represented here in this box. And I want us to understand that sometimes this uh, creates, what we're talking about, identity and purpose, creates joy. There is joy being part of the church, God's people, Christ followers, with the Holy Spirit living in us. God speaks his love and his purpose into our lives. Think about that. God's love for the world. He sent Jesus Christ into it. God loved sinners that while we were still sinners, he sent Jesus to die for us. Think of that overarching love. But then when we turn to Christ right? We get the words of, of, of God over Christ at his baptism. He says, you're my beloved son, whom I love, whom I'm well pleased, well pleased in. This identity being poured into Jesus, poured into us. We get Jesus's words to his disciples. I call you friends. The apostle Paul, right? He says, hey, the Holy Spirit's in you and his spirit and your spirit bear witness to one another. And because he lives in you, you can say, Abba, Father. You can call God Daddy. There's this intimacy in relationship, right? The priestly sense of having access to God. John tells his Christ followers how lavished we are that we could be called what? Children of God. Over and over and over again, God speaks identity into his people. And then Paul says, God's kingdom is a kingdom of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit leads us. And so I I want you to recognize here that what God thinks of you and your identity, this should bring us joy every day. That every day you wake up, you're reminded of your identity in Christ. You're reminded of your identity because God is pouring that into you. And that should bring joy. But I want you to think for a second that, that, can, that your identity, that my identity, can sometimes also bring tension and not joy. And so I got this other box here. And this other box here represents the world. It's a slightly bigger box because we live in the world. And as much as God's church and God's mission is so vital, you know, spatially we can consider that the world is bigger than the church. And I love thinking about this because Jesus says, hey, you're in the world, but you're not of the world. And that's going to create tension. When God was speaking identity into Israel's life and their purpose and their vocation, they would soon recognize that as they were living out their identity, their vocation, there would be a tension between the world around them. And that's the same thing for you and me as the church. So we have some questions to consider how do we how do we live in the world how do we live in the world well the scriptures say that we're holy set apart to be set apart is not over here or over here we're still in the world 
But we have, we're set apart. We're called. We're uniquely called to be different than the world, even though we're in the world. How do we serve the world? The world at times will want to be served in one way or another. We're called to serve the world sacrificially, with sacrificial love, modeled in Christ, our Savior. Though he was equal with God, he didn't consider that equality something to be grasped, but gave himself up as a servant. So we serve the world with love, with sacrifice, with generosity, with hospitality, and sometimes to our own cost. There's a tension in that. But here's another one that I think is really important. How do we change the world? How do we change the world? Do we, do we use worldly systems and like bang change into the world? Do we use worldly systems and just push the, the world out of the way? Do we say, hey, God's our God and God, our God is bigger, so we're better? Is that how we change the world? Is that how the scriptures call us to change the world? No. Even Israel was given this identity, this vocation to show the world. And we as Christ followers, in a very similar way, we're called to be incarnational, to embody the kingdom of God and God's kingdom values and the cruciform nature of Jesus. And we're called to be a witness inside this world. And so if I just turn this over a little bit, you can see that we can be a witness to the world around us. This is so important for us to understand. There's joy in our identity and vocation, but sometimes there's tension in our identity and vocation. And here's something that, especially I think to the cultural moment we're living in right now, and I want to encourage you and me to really think deeply about this. Let us never be tempted to use the ways of worldly kingdoms the ways of nation states, the ways of national ambition or motives or consumeristic success to achieve the mission of God in the world. We can never use the world systems to make the world in a way that in the image that we want the world to be in. It never works that way. We must be incarnational and embody the kingdom and live it out as a witness. Remember, we are priestly. We have access to God, but we are also representing God in the world. We don't lord it over like Jesus says. Don't lord it over like the Gentiles do, but become servants. Our roles can give us authority at times, and our roles can lead us in different positions in our world, but we are called to change the world differently, to represent, to serve, to remind everyone of their value and potential access to God, and we're called to be holy the way we live life, the way we do business, the way we use our money, the way we love our brothers and sisters, the way we do singleness, the way we do marriage is different. The ethic of our life, the posture, that's what separates us from the world. That's why we should look different. Sometimes, sometimes, even from the nations we live in, because no nation is a Christian nation, and the way we're called to live, we're called to live this way. So I want to just be careful when, we, when the nation or the agendas of the world calls us to hate or separate or divide. No, no, we're called to unite and love. God's kindness leads to repentance. We're called to succeed, but not at the expense of others, not to oppress others. 
we are in the world, but not of the world. We can be like the world in some facets, but unlike the world in other facets because we're God's treasured possession. Priestly, holy. And here's this one line I want us to remember this because every day or in different moments of our life, we're going to be called to discern. And I want to say it this way and read it with me off the screen. We are called to discern what it means to be priestly in a kingdom-oriented world and holy in a nationalistic world. Just think about that for a second. We're called to discern what it means every day in our decisions, in our actions, in our choices, what it means to be priestly in a kingdom-oriented world, what it means to be holy in a nationalistic world. And, and I think God's leading us in that way. I believe that he's calling us as he pours uh, true identity in us, vocation and purpose. And as we wrap up these last five weeks, I want you to remember this. Don't ignore wilderness-like seasons. It was in a wilderness-like season that Israel recognized this. It was a wilderness-like season where God showed them his love and how they can trust him and his provision and, and how they can discern attacks and, and how they can use his, gain his wisdom and also uh, be part of revealing to other people like Jethro. God showed them all that. But in these wilderness-like seasons, he shaped their identity and their purpose. We prepare to hear God's voice in seasons like this and then reminded of our identity and vocation. So in these seasons, in this pandemic or in another wilderness-like season or ones that you're maybe going through, get to know God's heart. Get to know God's heart like some of the lessons we learned over the last few weeks so that in the wilderness you can hear God's voice and obey his voice for all of life. Let's pause and pray um, as we wrap this up today. And you know, if there's questions, uh, I just want to really encourage you. You know, qu messages like this might bring up questions. One a couple of weeks ago was asking if we're under attack in this pandemic. I'd love to address that. Maybe we'll do that in different formats. If you have questions that come up, um, ways to just discern this, please just let us know. Let me know. Send me a note. You can join our discussion group tomorrow night and unpack today's message. I'm not even a part of that because it's not about me. It's about us uh, people growing together. And so you might want to do that as well. So but let's, let's pause and pray today. Oh God, with, with joy, we just are so grateful for the identity and purpose that you speak into us. God, we're your treasured possession. You call us to be priestly and holy. Uniquely loved, uniquely called, equipped with a vocation in our world. Partnering in your mission, reflecting your kingdom. God, may this give us joy every day. May we wake up reminded of this so we can step into our day with joy. But also, Lord, we, I just pray that you give us discernment to recognize that sometimes there will be tension in living our lives in this world, in living an expression of your kingdom in this world. Help us to discern, God, discern through the lies and the false narratives and the false promises and the false agendas that want to co-opt your church for other agendas that will tempt us to achieve our mission in worldly ways. Achieve our mission in worldly kingdom ways and not your kingdom ways. God, help us to see clearly when this happens and where the tension is so we can discern well and how we live in the world, how we serve the world, how we bring change in our world. And ultimately, God, may we be people who point others to Christ 
the author and finisher of our faith, our true King and Lord, the one who gives us identity and purpose and vocation. Oh God, may those even listening today who just see there's a longing in their heart for something true and greater than what's in this world, Lord. Oh God, may they turn to Christ and trust him and know him and get on a path where they can truly find their identity in Christ. God, we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.